The Bassmaster season has kicked off. Scott Martin already breaking records and so much more on this episode of the Inside Bassmaster podcast. Welcome into the show. I'm your host today, Ronnie Moore, my co-host as usual, Kyle Jesse. And Kyle, man, we talked about the offseason. We got to kick out, kick it off with the podcast of the storylines of the year. And we put in there that the Opens were going to be a major storyline for the 2024 season, and it didn't take long for us to have one of the best tournaments that's there's ever been, especially for the top angler, setting records, Scott Martin winning at Lake Okeechobee. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was down there in person, and it just felt different. You know, I've been to Opens the last several years, and obviously uh, we all know how competitive the Opens are getting and, and how stacked the fields have been the last handful of years. Uh, but it just felt different. Like it, it didn't feel other than the like nine hour weigh-ins, it didn't feel anything different than like an elite in the sense of like, you're looking around and you're seeing the guys that are fishing this tournament. You're like, again, you and I have talked about this time and time again on this podcast. It's you're like, you have to narrow this down to nine guys that are going to qualify. It's like, who, who, who would I even pick right now? Because I have like 30 plus guys that I think could reasonably do it. So um, it felt uh, intense, you know, like it, there was that intensity there at the tournament, obviously everybody wanting to get out to a good start. Uh, and yeah, like you said, how could you not, I mean, you know, how could you imagine a better finish than the way it turned out? Like Scott Martin in his hometown at Rollins Marina, uh, breaking the record on Okeechobee, catching nine pounders left and right. I mean, what a freaking tournament to start the year off. And I'm, it's got me excited for the rest of the season. That's for sure. So if you were under a rock this past weekend, maybe you forgot the tournament season started February 1st through the 3rd. We were at Lake Okeechobee for the first St. Croix Bassmaster Open of the year, kicking off the EQ points race, the season-long journey to qualify for the Elite Series. And Scott Martin won the first event of the year in his home lake. Uh, he did it with 90 pounds, six ounces, breaking the all-time Opens record held by Gerald Swindle for the longest time since 2011. So it had been over a dozen years Gerald had that record, and it fell by basically 10 pounds. That's what Scott Martin beat it in three days. Averaged 30 pounds a day for his uh, each day of the competition. He had 33-2, the largest single-day bag in Opens history on day one of this event. Had another 25 and change on day two, and then dropped in 31 and change on the final day to win by 21 pounds, 11 ounces. To think that Tucker Smith, Randall Tharp, and the rest basically averaged 22 to 23 pounds a day and lost by 21 pounds, 11 ounces. It's the second winning, second biggest winning margin in BASS history, right behind Patrick Walters' feet at 2020 Lake Fork Bassmaster Elite. So we're catching you up real quick. And Kyle, when we look at that top 10, it felt like a 2013 Lake Okeechobee event, like the heyday 2011, 2010, whatever you want to say, the heyday of Lake Okeechobee, when you have Scott Martin, Randall Tharp, and Brandon McMillan, three guys who know so much about this place that have all won here, and they're all in the top 10. But I really think if you zoom out a little bit for the rest of the top 10 and who the participants were, I was at the meeting with you um, on Wednesday for the Opens, and it was awesome to see you know, I think there's like 15 former Elite Series pros, whether they failed to requalify in past years or whether they chose to leave and are trying to come back. There's 15 to 20 former Elite Series pros in the field. There's another 10 or so former professional anglers at other tours that have never fished the Elite Series that are trying to do it as well. Then you've got, that's just 30 or 40 anglers. That is a stud group there. And then you've got a bunch of incoming anglers from the College Series, a bunch of seasoned veterans from the Opens. 
And when I was asked on other podcasts and we talked about on Bass Live, we had a bunch of young anglers make the Elite Series last year from the Opens. One angler over 30 years old, and that was Ben Milliken. Everyone else was 20, or everyone else was 18 to 29 years old. And so we were saying, how's it going to be this year? And I said, I honestly expect a little bit more disparity um, or a little bit more parity in it. I think that there'll be three seasoned pro vets that are former Elite Series guys or former pro-level anglers that are trying to make the Elite Series. I think there'll be three anglers that we know from the College Series, and then there'll be three that make it from either they're just seasoned vets on the Opens. You know, they're not young men anymore. They've been on the Opens for five to ten years. I think that there'll be a good mixture there. And that is exactly the sample size screenshot you can take from the first event of the season. You had – the Scott Martins, Randall Tharp, and Brandon McMillans of the world. Then you mix in Easton Fothergill, our college classic bracket representative, Tucker Smith, the runner-up of the bracket, and Bo Browning, another former college angler and, and son of a pro angler. There's three right there, so there's six of your top ten. And then you mix in other guys like Austin Cranford, who's been at it for a few years, Sam George, who has been so close so many times. You have a new EQ angler to the series, Matt Adams, and help me for this last one. Who's the who's the other who's the tenth one? Um, McMillan. Did you say McMillan? Yeah, McMillan was with Scott and Paul uh, Marks. Oh, and then Paul Marks. Yeah, he's Paul he's Marks. aged as a college angler, but was not a college fisherman. But he is roommates and traveling buddies with Tucker Smith. So our top ten showed that showed that opportunity for veterans that are are know it know what they're good at. Uh, a lot of new technology guys as well, young anglers as well. So I think that this is going to be and, – and when we look at our schedule, I think that we're going to have some great places, but you'll have a Santee Cooper in March. We know forward-facing sonar can play there, but also you can fish with your instincts and fish shallow, do whatever you want to do there and still compete in March. Uh, you'll have Mississippi River at the end of the year. You'll have uh, you know a leech lake. If you go for largemouth, you may not need electronics. Eufaula, Logan Martin – there, there's so many other places that I think that we can have a good mixture of tech and not tech. So great way to kick off our season. And for our guest on the podcast today, Kyle, we're going to have McCoy Fisher. McCoy is the cameraman and guru of Scott Martin Challenge. He is the one who has helped grow Scott's social platform so big on YouTube with the great content they put out there and a different perspective. Scott's going to get plenty of interviews. We're going to talk to Scott plenty of times throughout the elite season as well, and we'll have a, a, a definitely a great opportunity to get his insight on it. But a different perspective. Let's go ahead and add him to the the podcast. McCoy Fisher joining us to give a different perspective on someone who's been right beside a pro angler that's been hungry for a win so long. So Kyle, we mentioned it. McCoy, we gave him a good lead up that he is the the brains behind Scott Martin's YouTube and social growth over the last, I don't know, it seems like a decade. McCoy, how long have you been with Scott? And welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I've been with Scott four full seasons. I'm just starting my fifth season now. And uh, it's it's been a crazy ride to say the least it's it's been awesome though so uh, while we're on the topic you know one of the things I wanted to ask is you know it seems like like Ronnie said seems like you've been there doing it so long that you're such a familiar face now but like tell us the story of like how you got into you know working with Scott where you're from all the things you know that led you to the point of of you know like I said such a recognizable uh character today in the industry yeah so to start it out I mean I guess 
my love for bass fishing kind of started um everything with the cameras and everything um back in high school when i was about 16 i kind of started watching youtube i got introduced to say the guggen squad on youtube who i think got a lot of kids into fishing and particularly i was watching john b and liked how he really focused on the filming and the cinematic part of it so that led me to kind of do my own youtube stuff but then throughout high school i kind of figured out i like being behind the camera being more in control and filming other people so i started doing some things for my friends stuff like that and posting that on youtube kind of building up a portfolio and by the time i was just after my freshman year in college basically i had a portfolio built and i was actually in a new york city subway with my friend just on a random trip and um i saw that scott posted a, a post on instagram saying he was looking for a videographer um and kind of list down the whole thing so i was like looking down at all the requirements and everything he needs i'm like wow, i kind of be a perfect fit but i highly doubt he's gonna even respond to my email so i reached out and about 15 minutes later he he called me through, uh, because I gave him my number and we kind of worked out a time for, for me to come down. And that was just the start of his Bassmaster Opens career. So that's kind of the short on how I how I got into it with Scott and I guess the rest is history at this point. Yeah, I kind of was really shocked when you said five years or this is your fifth season. It feels like it's been so long, but he has definitely been one that embraced the YouTube lifestyle and mentality, and it's definitely added a lot more to his uh, opportunities as he was already like a well-established pro. Um, McCoy, so where are you initially from? Are you from the Florida area, or did you move there? I mean, I, I'm assuming you got like a, a bedroom in Scott's house that you just you like live with Scott, because I'll just say a lot of people look at, you know, our friends probably are like, Kyle, I could do your job. Ronnie, I could do your job if I just had the opportunity. McCoy, I could do what you I see how much editing and how many video not many people could do uh, what you do and, and maybe what we do. But it is it is taxing. So you got to have like a second or third bedroom house, in, a part of his house. Well, actually, I have my own place here in Clewiston. Um, it's a little, just a little shack. It's all I need. I pay barely anything in rent uh, because I'm barely here throughout the season. We're we're on the road so much. But originally, I'm from Pennsylvania. Um, not too great at bass fishing up there, but this, uh, I guess, the struggles kind of got me into it even more of even trying to catch a bass up in those northern states. But um, yeah, uh, I moved down to Florida. I guess the five years ago, basically. So I'm not originally from here, but I had spent a lot of time in Florida and knew this is kind of where I wanted to be because of how good the fishing is, whether you're in saltwater, freshwater, uh, there's just so many opportunities opportunities around the state. So, Well, five years in Clewiston, Kyle, that means he is a certified Florida man now. Like he is, he, we yeah. can see him on the news and he's going to act exactly no like <laughs> Fighting alligators, like doing <laughs> something, something bad, something bad's bound to happen. That's for sure. Well, uh, before we jump into the tournament itself, like I, I kind of want to rally off what Ronnie said there because I get to see what you and and you know y'all's team do in person pretty much every Elite Series tournament, pretty much all the tournaments you guys are very you know Scott's fishing. Um, it's funny that Ronnie brought that up because myself and Dalton and some of the guys that are you know uh, obviously working on the bass side, we consistently say, and I don't mean this to sound in a negative way, like I would never 
ever want McCoy's job because you are constantly working. Like, is there ever a time during the day that you just get to like put the camera down and not have to do stuff? Like, and and I'm I, again, I'm not saying that like as a as a negative towards Scott or anything. Like, but you guys work really, really hard for a long time. Yeah, we we definitely do. Um, I was actually that you say that I was doing some stuff for his TV show. I was trying to send off an episode to to Discovery Channel, um, but. It, it, we're always working it's there are times when I get to kind of relax and he gives me ample amount of time off because in the tournament season we do it's I think the last year we went 44 days straight without really taking a break yeah. so, because between the tournaments we don't just kind of hang out he, he's got 13 episodes a year that he has to send off to tv so we're filming those uh, like you said I'm editing all the time I mean, constantly every day is I think I spend more time editing than I do like filming and everything like that. So what is what is your caffeine of choice? Because there's no way you don't drink caffeine. <laughs> um, I'm not really a big coffee drinker. So the Celsius is kind of, <laughs> kind of my go to when we're on the road. Or oh, Red Bull, if I really want to give myself a kickstart. Twenty-two-year-old but... girl drink Celsius. I see you there, no. dude. I, I like Celsius too. I'll, I'll I'll go under the bus with you on that one. I like Celsius a lot. Oh yeah. All I know is I was on a mission trip last summer, and I was the the leader of the group. And it was always like, we've got five minutes before we have to be somewhere. Can you stop and get us a Celsius? And I was like walking in there buying these drinks. I was like. I'm not even drinking these and I got to take the shame of, of getting these, you know, passion fruit, you know, waters basically. Um, no, we all jokes aside though. So you knew of Scott Martin and enough to know he needed a cameraman and editing crew to send your name in. Did you know of Scott's legacy at FLW? Did you know any of successes and history with him before jumping into this? Because the Martin family is obviously like on the Mount Rushmore of bass fishing. And uh, you jumped in when he was segueing in his career. And if people picked up with Scott right there, they're like, oh my gosh, this guy is trying to make it to the elite series. The dude's won millions over here. And he's one of the winningest anglers of all time at FLW, you know? And so how was that for you? Did you know of him uh, greatly? And then knowing what he's about to have to the task to endure. So when I first started with Scott, I wasn't, too into the tournament side of things i was more into just i was still trying to learn how to fish basically like bass fish really well and so i didn't really know like i knew roland and everything and i knew they were related that kind of thing but i guess i really didn't realize how high up in the tournament fishing world they were and how kind of well known they were until i got here and um uh, you kind of hang out with them and every play, every Bass Pro shops you go in, every tackle shop, it seems like everybody knows them. Um, so it, it's kind of cool uh, to be around that for sure. And every Bucky's y'all go in, they know you. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm starting to get recognized in Bucky's a few times. <laughs> That's kind of weird, <laughs> weird to say, but I love going to Bucky's. Super cool. Well, man, outside of the fact that obviously, uh, you know, we wanted to hear more about your story and and let the world know more about you, the the man behind the uh, the the masterpieces and 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 you know the things of Scott Martin's, um, you know, social and YouTube and everything else. Uh, obviously, he just had a big win. That's a huge thing. Um, obviously, was down there with with uh, with you guys covering the tournament and 
I just want to know, like, before the tournament even started, like, where was his mind at? Like, how excited was he? One, obviously, we assume a lot. Um, two, like, did he have a practice where he felt like he was going to do it? Like, what was the kind of the, the lead up, you know, to the tournament for on your side of things? And this was the least working week McCoy had because he didn't even have to shoot the first two days. <laughs> yeah. He was just hanging out. So, yeah, you got to take it all in on Bass Track and whatever. Yeah. Um, so, Scott, I mean, honestly, he – he sometimes gets kind of nervous, um, especially being on your home water. There's a lot of pressure. Um, but this week was kind of different. He seemed just very calm and at peace the entire week. And him and I, we'd sit in the boat every night and just kind of talk about what he, what he saw, what he's thinking. I went with him in practice one day just to ride along and film a little bit. But um, we just kind of break down the day and just kind of talk about it. And he just he seemed to be very kind of dialed in, but the stuff he actually fished in the tournament, he didn't find until the last day of practice, which was that half day, whatever. And um, he really didn't think he was on the fish to win. He thought maybe he could catch 20 pounds a day, which was, uh, would have been good, but definitely would not have won the tournament and would not have done what he did in this tournament. Um, the perspective just being with him was was super kind of cool just to see it from that side of it and not having to shoot it on the water the first two days was nice because i'd come home i'd, I'd work out i'd just kind of hang out and that's not normally the case when we're on the elite series we're always out there on camera boats um shooting the event but he said hey i'm gonna be basically on a community hole i don't want you to be out there in another boat taking away water from some other boats the competitors because that's just not fair so i was like okay cool <laughs> i get to relax um but i, I and, really do wish I was and out. it would bring more attention to him when he was being sneaky ninja like unwrapped boat buff <laughs> yeah. up to his eyeballs like he was i think kyle said yeah dalton took photos of scott for 30 minutes before he realized it was scott he's like who's this guy <laughs> catching big ones and then it's like scott martin he's like oh shoot that's scott you know so yeah, the, the story the story of like how when he recognized it to me it was like the funniest thing ever he like he's you know that like mccoy said this area was like filled with boats if you watch if you looked at bassmaster.com throughout the week i mean it was just a ton of boats in one area uh and dalton said he was covering you know this guy um, and he catches like a six pounder. He's like, oh, this guy's pretty good. Like, I don't know who this is, but he's pretty good. He said like, he gets the fish in the boat and Dalton's trying to like get him to hold it up. And he's like, what is this idiot doing? Just hold the fish up, like take a picture of it. So he sneaks behind the console of the, the, you know, the driver's console and like holds the fish up and kind of smirks. And he's like, is that Scott Martin? It's like, what the hell? Like, it's just like so unexpected. Um, and then that was that was when he texted everybody. He was like, dude, Scott Martin's in an unwrapped boat, and I've been shooting him for the last, like, 30 minutes. I had no idea. No <laughs> idea. And people <laughs> actually thought, like, that was purposeful, that he was trying to kind of hide. And we'll go with that story. But it's just with the switching of sponsors and everything, we just had some issues getting it wrapped. And the truck's unwrapped. The boat's unwrapped. It just looks like we're trying to hide out there. But Yeah, we'll no. And, and, I mean, it is exactly – justified if your elite series season starts in three weeks and you have a local tournament on your home lake that you don't need to wrap it for that it's all good and so <laughs> it made it, it made it even better that's why i told mccoy like in at way in one day he was like i hope people aren't thinking like we're trying to do that intentionally i was like even if you are like it's perfectly <laughs> fine like there's literally nothing against it like yeah in my opinion it's very smart because you see it's that refreshing you know yeah you, for you, sure 
to know that you can run around and someone's like, well, there's a Skeeter. And then they're like, <laughs> they don't realize who who's in that Skeeter. Um, so tell me what it's been like going through the opens. He had that stress. You're getting into tournament fishing that first year or so, you know, of, of his journey making the elite series. And he's one of the best anglers of all time at FLW. And it hasn't been easy on the elite series. Like a lot of people thought, you know, barely making the classic, barely missing the classic, not really having a, a ton of top tens or getting close to a win. There hasn't really been an elite event where I'm like, Scott could win this event. It's always good success. Day one, day two, maybe he has a bad day and jumps up day three, but not close enough to win things like that. And so now when we were saying it on Bass Live, like I said, if this if this is Scott's only BASS win, what a place for him to win at home, in front of his dad, in front of his mom, in front of his family, to win it in record fashion. But we take wins for granted. And for a guy who's won so much at FLW, who hasn't won anything at Bass, but his family has such a reputation of winning, has that weighed on Scott? Do you think he's he's tried to go out and win or tried to go out and has he has he fished differently now that it's been a few years since he's won one and now he might unlock something and fish differently now that he's got to win. Yeah, I think, I mean, especially with the the points on the line and trying to make the classic because that's part of his unfinished family business. Um, there has been a stress to kind of fish a little conservatively and he's kind of gone back and forth between just fishing to win, fishing conservative. And I think fishing conservative definitely hurt him a lot as i see it hurting a lot of other anglers um but it's it's been very kind of cool to sit back and watch the entire process of how each year changed because of how stressful that that opens year was um how his mindset changes every year and i think it's evolved every year um for the better and this year i kind of feel like it's going to be pretty special because of where he's at mentally physically and now he doesn't have the stress of making that classic with the points. So I think it could be a dangerous year. So you, you, know, you said that, well, you said that perfectly there, like physically. Um, I know he's talked about like his either working out or just eating better and losing weight. Like what is, has he lost like 30 pounds? Like what's he, he does look a lot healthier he looks like he did maybe like five, six years ago, like younger wise. Like he, a lot of people comment that on YouTube because I run our Bassmaster YouTube and I see like Scott looking good, man. And it's like, I try to look back and be like, well, he never looked bad. Like, so, but what is he, his health wise? Um, yeah, he, he's a workout freak. That's for sure. Um, he's definitely eating a lot better. Um, and I've kind of hopped on that with him. I don't eat as well as he does, but we work out just about the same. We have a local place here in town. That's a CrossFit place that kind of, it's what we like doing. And we, we go on the road sometimes when we have time. Um, it's kind of hard to find time on the road. Um, but just, he works out probably two, maybe three times a day, which is wow saying <laughs> so i don't know how he has time for everything he does well you don't need to eat good yeah you're like 25 or <laughs> 19 or whatever you are like you you got he's he's like almost 50 he's got to do that um but go ahead kyle i just wanted i wanted to i did make that observation so i wanted to point that out well i one thing that you had mentioned obviously was how special the win was and i think everybody felt that way you've seen that in the like you said in the comments and the the viewpoint um and the page views and things on of that nature on uh Bassmasters YouTube and and the website but 
in person, it was really special. Like Scott's like entire family was there. It was, uh, I mean, I want to say, I was going to say like half the town of Closton, but it might've been the whole town. I, I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, it seems like there was a ton of people there for an opens way in just like reflect on that. Like tell, tell everybody, you know, that wasn't there what that was like, because I got to see that firsthand and, and, uh, it was, it was, a uh, quite the chaotic scene after way in there. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was definitely a surreal experience in the moment. Um, mainly for me, it was a little tough because I hadn't filmed a win. <laughs> I didn't know exactly how to go about that. So I just tried to get whatever I could, but shots fired. Shots yeah. fired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was, it didn't hit me until a little bit later that, wow, this was really special. And Scott and I had a long talk yesterday just about how God's timing is perfect. And this could be, this is the last, I think this is the first time, and correct me if I'm wrong, that Bassmaster's been back to Clewiston since, what, 1991? A long time ago, yeah. And I believe Roland might have won that tournament. So it it's crazy how they haven't been back since then. And that's his first Bassmaster win. His he had seen his mom win there, his dad win there, and now it's just it's just perfect that he wins there. And obviously they're getting up in age. It could be the last time they see him win, but hopefully that's not true. Um, and it, it was it's a super surreal experience, and I honestly I fully haven't taken it in yet. Not until um. Uh, I get through editing the videos and I'll be able to relive that and be like, wow, this was, this was super special to even be a part of. Which last night I left Bible study at eight 30, came up here on Monday night, plugged in all the footage so that today when we're shooting this podcast, I can give you footage of Scott. So just know I like it's, it's right awesome. when we hang up here, we're going to be working on that. But um, yeah, Scott, when I talked to him, I got to, you know, we're we're doing one day of live on the opens, which by the way, it was the most viewed opens live on Bassmaster.com ever, views wise. And I know FS1 was probably just as good because of how awesome, you know, the storylines were playing out there. So uh, you know, that's super cool to kick off the year with big numbers like that. And um I talked to Scott Thursday night and just a five minute conversation like congrats man like hey make sure you catch him more than one day because at the elite last time you caught him one you know like make sure you catch him day two you know and and joking with him then on day two I talked to him and I didn't want to make him cry on the phone but I just these guys are human there's a lot of things that mean stuff to him so I asked him what would it mean for you to win here and he said you know I was just a kid you know he got his dates a little mixed up, but he was like, I was just like a 13 year old kid. And I saw my dad win here in Clewiston. And it was in that moment that I knew like I wanted to do that. Well, I went back through and looked and like, you know, he was born in 75. His dad won in 80. I was like, okay, he's only, that was the first time we were there at Okeechobee. He was only five. So that couldn't have been it. So I go up for the next roll and win. And it was 91 for that invitational. So I tell one of our editors here during live midday after Scott catches that first nine pounder while we're on break, I was like, hey, he's hey, it looks like he's going to probably win now. That was the one he needed. And then he started to pile on even more. But we went back and found that 1991 uh, weigh in because we have done all this cast stuff. They've made all the cast archives for the shows. So we have a bunch of Roland Martin stuff. So we found that 1991 invitational that Roland won. And in the background, when when. Scott's mom runs up to hug Roland. 
Scott's in the background there in a, in a ball cap, got his half mullet sticking out the back of his shirt and young, you know, 15, 16 year old Scott uh, watches his dad win right there. And it was cool to be able to tie the two together, his story and trying to remember that moment. And then we're going to be in that same, you know, parking lot basically later today when Scott gets to win. And then he kept piling it on. And now it's like, not only is it a win, it's a record. And now it's going to be blowing the record out. And now we were like, catch a 10 and a half and you'll break a hundred pounds. Like screw it. Just go break a hundred today. And uh, so absolutely awesome. But yeah, that story that he told me on the phone, uh, it's crazy how how much footage we have and that we could find that uh, and tie it all together because it, it's cool to see those things we remember. It, it was, you know, that's 35 years ago. thirty right. That's 30 years ago that he remembers that. And so I hope in 30 years we remember, you know, this classic meant a lot to Kyle and this classic meant a lot to me. And, you know, and, and you'll probably still be editing YouTube videos in 30 years and you'll be like, I remember my first YouTube video, but. Uh, yeah. Very, very cool to tie it all together. Yeah, definitely. One thing I did want to to hit on, you kind of mentioned it there early on in the uh, the podcast is like, you know, you can't really do much of anything with Scott around fishing, you know, like, like you said, at Bass Pro Shops, places, uh, tournaments, anywhere where he's recognizable, you know, I mean, I'm sure he can, you know, go to the grocery store and random places and people probably don't know, doesn't know who he is, but like, what is that like? Because I know you've helped all of us at one point or another, like get in contact with him for like, you know, an interview or whatever it may be. Like, I'm sure that's probably one of the parts of the jobs that you probably didn't even realize was going to be as 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 prevalent as it is. Uh, what is that like having to to juggle the, I guess, you know, as as much fame as you could have as a bass fisherman, I guess. Yeah, it's it's, it's definitely a learning experience. You learn every day um, with how to deal with that and it's sometimes a lot to juggle, especially during the season when you've got editing and we're shooting a video here, we're going to drive 14 hours to this next lake. Um, and then something comes up and it, it's, it's definitely been a, been an experience for sure. And a little stressful to say the least, but you learn how to mitigate that stress and kind of get on with your life. And <laughs> it's, it's, it's not the easiest, but it's, it's been good so far. Tell us a little bit about Roland, uh, the opportunity to, I believe you've probably jumped in and helped Roland, you know, start his YouTube, or maybe you you know, just gave advice, whatever. Um, but those two, uh, what's their relationship like? Because I think that that's, it's the most interesting thing is oftentimes sons want to make their dads proud. Like, even if they know their dad is, I know my dad is proud of me and he watches Bass Live all the time. But if I can do something or perform to a great level or do my job in the best way, maybe I can make him even more proud at times. It's odd to say that for a guy who's won so many tournaments and so much money and things. But when your dad is Roland Martin, there's still got to be a moment where Scott wants to make his dad proud. And, and I feel like this weekend was the cherry on top of, of fulfilling that whole, like my whole career. And we won here in Clewiston, uh, BASS, where – where my dad has so many wins, so many AOIs, all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Their relationship's good. And we normally film a TV show every year with Roland. And it's always a it's always a great time. Roland's a he's a character to be around. But um I I wouldn't say I mean, yeah, he is trying to always make his dad proud. And one of his biggest goals that kind of goes along with the unfinished family business 
um, is handing his dad that classic trophy that he could never, never complete and win himself. Um, I think that's how ultimately Scott would view making him proud. But um, yeah, it's uh, Roland's been doing good on YouTube and everything like that. And he, he's actually probably more active than Scott and I right now. He, he guides almost every day. Yeah, so that's he's a fishing machine. See him very often. He's a machine. He's always at headwaters doing guide trips and just absolutely is ate up with it. Loves it. Still throws a cast net for shiners. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's really awesome when we get to spend time with him. Well, that's fantastic. Is there anything uh, in the works for this year that's different than maybe past years that you can give a preview to for Scott's channel and for your endeavors um, before we let you go? Because I know, I mean, you went and you guys go to other countries together and shoot things. You guys, obviously, I, I hate that you guys aren't in the Bassmaster Classic, but just know that the Expo, you guys are going to be carrying carrying the weight because there's going to be a lot of people in the expo to see Scott and to see the whole crew and to be a part of Scott Martin, you know, at the classic expo. Yeah. This year we're super excited for this year. Um, there's possibly a series coming down the, down the road where we're going to be traveling a lot overseas and kind of doing a lot of fishing overseas. If we can fit that in our schedule, um, our busy Bassmaster schedule and then the <laughs> postseason schedule as well. But I do know uh, we have a trip planned to Italy actually to do some bass fishing for the black bass world championship that we've competed in the past few years um, that last year took us to Portugal, which was an experience in itself. And I'm super blessed to be able to, to be able to travel along with him and document that entire thing. Um, we, we were always kicking around different series ideas. And obviously with the, the tournament videos, my biggest goal is to kind of improve them every year. And I hope I've done that in the past, but it you don't really see it until you sit back and watch them again. You, it's it's a lot of work in the moment, but that's my biggest goal for this year. And just to make the videos as cinematic and awesome as you can while telling a good story. Well, all I know is that I, you know, here we came up with an idea called Unfiltered and it's just taking an angler's full day cutting out, you know, maybe, you know, when they go to the restroom or when the camera goes black, just but very minimal. And it's just the whole day, everything recording the camera. And I roll it out and we put it on YouTube, Scott Martin's deal. And I put it up like a week after y'all do a 90 hour film on his same tournament. And I was like, well, why are they going to watch us if they're going to watch theirs? And so uh, very, very cool to see y'all do it on the small scale. And then to know that months later, Fans will watch the same thing if it's presented just slightly different. And so uh, that's something that we've tried to do on YouTube as well. So keep it up. Um, my last question for you, Kyle may have another question, but my last question for you is how many hard drives do you have and how much would you say space-wise? Is it like 100 terabytes? Like how many terabytes of things do you have? Because uh, I know how much we go through here. Like, I just brought in all the opens footage and one day with 10 anglers drone and weigh in, it's a terabyte. So I can't imagine that's just one day with 10 different anglers. So there's gotta be, you know, maybe 50, hundred terabytes. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> I would say it's well North of about 200 terabytes, to be honest. <laughs> um, each tournament for me, because I'm a stickler on quality of video, we shoot in everything in 4k. We have a really nice camera. 
that the file sizes end up being giant. So we have a bunch of smaller hard drives. I don't know if something like this that is two terabytes, I believe. And that'll hold about <laughs> a tournament if I'm lucky. Um, so sometimes tournaments are very large. But then we also have these 12 terabyte giant uh, hard drives. And I have Xbox 360s. Seven of them sitting right next to me. <laughs> so they have that's all of our archive footage, basically. And I know we should probably have like a raid system um, because these hard drives can obviously go bad, but it's, it's a lot of footage. <laughs> we got copies on copies on copies. And that's why we've been digitizing all the old film because the film is degrading and breaking down. We might not be yeah. able to go through the old film anymore. And so that's a problem that uh, very few in the industry, I guess, have to have is, is how much storage you need. I yeah. wasn't even I wasn't even planning on asking this, but what's now just like looking at all that that uh the hard drives and stuff, it makes me wonder what's like your biggest mess up, like your biggest oh <laughs> you know what moment, like where like something bad really happened. Cause I'm sure <laughs> as much as you shoot, like surely there's been like one instance where you're like, Oh my god, I can't come back from this one. I flushed it there's down actually, the toilet. There's actually been two major incidents that I I legitimately thought I was gonna be fired for. Um in his in my first season with him, I was new and we were at Neely Henry and we went about that tournament, filmed the entire thing. It was good. He didn't finish it that great, so the videos weren't gonna be amazing. It wasn't like he won or anything. But we get to the next open at uh Lake Cherokee and I was sitting there editing on the computer and I think I got up from the table and knocked the hard drive off the table. And it wasn't an S SSD, a solid state drive. It was one of those uh, HDD drives, which has the spinning disc in it. So when it fell off, the disc was still spinning and it basically corrupted. I didn't back up the footage properly and completely lost everything that was on that hard drive, promotional stuff. And, I mean, you name it. And it, that call to Scott was, that was the most stressful <laughs> call of my life. He was out on the water trying to figure out those Cherokee bass. And that was not the the call he wanted to get. <laughs> Hey, uh, you mind if I go to Best Buy, Scott? We gotta get a new drive because I, because uh, I, because I punted one of them on accident. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, we tried to get it recovered, and we got some of the footage off. But I don't know if you've ever tried to recover anything <laughs> off of a hard drive. It's expensive and extremely time consuming. Um, and then the second one was actually one of these. It wasn't one of these particular drives, but it was one that had I think ten or fourteen terabytes of footage on it. And from that first experience, I learned to kind of double back up all the footage I have. Um, but I think I was in between hard drives or something like that and had all of the footage from Scott's first ever elite tournament on one of those hard drives. And it just ended up just stopped working on me, basically. And that there was no way of getting any of the footage off. We sent that one off and we ended up getting nothing from that. So I don't know if anyone ever noticed that we had no footage, no video from the that St. John's River tournament in 2021. That was uh that one was pretty rough. He wasn't very happy about that one. He wasn't very happy about it either, actually. Yeah. I'll be mad when I remember that somebody caught a fish in 1987 on this day of competition and I go to look for it and I'm like, why is this offline? What the heck? And so I couldn't imagine being like, where is it? There's no yeah. footage at all. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. That was... 
Well, that's also that, uh, we should give you some credit though. Because 2021, I mean, that's you haven't had any big mess ups since then. That's a <laughs> yeah, lot of exactly. that's a lot of a lot of uh, flawless efforts there. So, Scott's I mean, I, a very could, forgiving man, you know. Yeah, first I mean, two mess ups in the first two years, yeah. Yeah, uh, there's there's been some other mess ups that I've made aside from video editing and stuff like that that he's very been very forgiving of. <laughs> Well, you're a truck driver, you're a video editor, you are a TV show editor. Uh, there's a lot of different hats that McCoy wears, and I appreciate you joining us. Uh, Scott got it done. He's already punched his ticket. He's the he's the first man out of the 2024 Classic and the first man in the 2025 Classic, and we don't even know where it's at. I think one man may know, and that's Eric Lopez. And, so, and that might not even be finalized yet, but – uh, congratulations to all of Scott Martin's team and family. Super great week to kick off the year. And it does. It kind of feels like this is going to be a great year. We weren't we weren't playing favorites or anything like that, but the way that event played out with him winning, catching 30 pounds a day, and second place catching 23 a day but still losing by over 21 pounds, crazy. Um, so congrats to Scott and the whole team, and we look forward to seeing what you, what you make out of uh, – his winning moment um, since that's all you shot basically. <laughs> yeah. It, it should be awesome. I, I, thanks for having me on. It's, it's been fun. Of course, McCoy Fisher, the real McCoy on Instagram. If you guys are looking to get into uh, video editing, cinematography, videography, whatever ography you want to talk about, McCoy's your guy. Uh, and he also needs some people probably to help him out. So be on the lookout. <laughs> he might be, might be getting some people part of the team. Um, but appreciate you joining us, man. And uh, if you ever need anything, let us know. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, McCoy. McCoy Fisher, the camera man. Him and Kyle Vandiver are probably the models of excellence for when it comes to bass fishing, uh, video, and media for Elite Series Pro. So uh, definitely one to admire and follow and pick his brain if you get the opportunity and you want to get into this field. Uh, he definitely... I couldn't imagine being, you know, a part of a one or two person team responsible for cutting shows for Discovery and and where Scott's shows end up. I think they were even on ESPN last year or something like that. Um, I'm a part of a 10 or 15 person team here. And amongst that, you know, we have a three or four person team that does shows, but we're not the ones shooting it and then editing it. We're just the ones editing it. So uh, absolutely monster of a worker, uh, McCoy. Yeah, I mean, such a good dude, too. Like I said, I don't think I gave him enough credit there when I asked about, like, you know, dealing with uh, all the, you know, things that come with being with Scott all the time. Because, you know, from my experience, he is so gracious of, like, anytime somebody asks if he can, like, help him out, like, getting an autograph or getting a picture or anything like that. Like, McCoy is such a good dude, and I've seen that on display so many times that, like, I think that needs to be addressed because he's such a good guy and he's such a good, talented guy at what he does. I mean, that kind of goes without saying. Like, if you watch Scott's stuff on YouTube and and anywhere, um, photos, like you said, literally everything that he does is is so good. And, uh, you know, he's such a friendly guy and everybody on, on tour really gets along with him and certainly deserves a lot of credit because uh, definitely, you know, a big part of the engine that makes that that entire ship run. Yeah, you know, we've talked about it plenty, you know, I took over the Bassmaster YouTube in like 2019 or 20, I think it was 2020. 
uh, you know, the second half of the year, COVID's running rampant and things are shutting down. We're about to start the Bassmaster Elite Series season back up and we're going to have the fall trail. I take over the YouTube and it's it's a monster. Daily content, putting it out. Uh, you could be on vacation, but you've got videos scheduled to, to post each day that you're gone and you want to monitor and keep up with things, make sure they go right. And so uh, we definitely have families that are gracious to our work schedules because it's never ending. And same with managing the website like you do uh, with all the content that flows through. So uh, definitely bless the ladies in our lives that put up with that. But the viewership, the connection and draw he has, there are, you know, there might be better anglers than Scott in the Elite Series currently or for a career. However you want to split it, you can make any arguments. But there's probably less than five names that would ever be in the running to be bigger than Scott Martin at this stage of the fishing. If you mention that a lot of people know Scott Martin and they don't even know where he fishes, a lot of people know Scott Martin and they know, uh, you know, everything about him, his sponsors, all of that. And so that goes without saying that the distractions we say, some anglers take on, you know, new podcasts or new things and there's distractions. Scott is a walking distraction. So the fact that he's even close to the classic every year, uh, goes without saying um, that he's got a lot on his plate. So kudos to the whole team there. And man, going back to the tournament, what a week at Lake Okeechobee. I couldn't, I don't think I heard a negative except I didn't catch enough weight this week was the only negative some people had. Yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy. I've been wanting to say this this whole time. When you look at the top 10, uh, I talked to Easton and and Bo a lot after the tournament uh, and, and I told them, I said, like, what's crazy, my brother's actually the one that said this first, is you could give, you know, pretty much anybody fifth and below a whole nother day to fish, and they probably still wouldn't catch Scott's weight in three days, or fourth day, rather. Um, so pretty pretty remarkable what he did. And, and you know, by the end of it, it's like I saw your text when he caught the second nine-pounder on the last day. And it was like, you know, the first one was pretty much the nail in the coffin as far as winning the tournament was concerned uh, without, you know, somebody having like an all-time type day. Um, and then when I saw your text and said he caught a second nine-pounder, I was like, what are we doing here? Like, dude is about to blow it out of the water. It's not even noon yet. And he's literally ran away with this thing to the point where, like, nobody's going to come back. But uh, really an impressive performance. And, and you know, when you think about it, like you said, the record for three-day – uh, Bassmaster events being broken. I mean, that's like, I'm not saying that hasn't been covered. That's been definitely, you know, talked about a lot, but for that to have been a record for so long uh, and then to get broken, I mean, it, it is crazy that that was a, a huge part of Bassmaster history on top of just being such a crazy event where Scott wins, you know, in his, in his hometown on his home lake. Yeah. And I think even if you go back, like 2011 was when Gerald Swindle at, you know, his, his lone victory with BISS, which was at the Kissimmee chain, he catches 80 pounds, 13 ounces for three days. That's the opens record. But before they were the opens, there's other three-day tournaments the BAS has had, and Byron Velvick even had a record of 83-5. And so people are like, well, he didn't, he hasn't broken the three-day record yet. I'm like, okay, so the top 100s, top 150s, that was the Elite Series back in the day. This is the Elite Series now. Those were the Opens back in the day. This is the Opens now. He has now smashed both of those. And like we were saying, I was, I was, I went straight into fan mode at a certain point in the day and was like, just while you're here, just catch another 10. 
Like, why don't you just make a hundred pounds? That's crazy. And so Scott actually said to me on the phone that, you know, his bash track was a little heavier than what his final weight was. And we were all a little deceived that those fish look like 10 pounders. But he said, dude, I think that they dropped their eggs right before I caught them. Like they didn't drop them in the live well. There was no slimy eggs in the live well that they had spawned out. But just like a just like a pregnant lady, you know, she gives birth to a baby. The next day, she's still got a belly. You know, she's still it's it takes a long time for it to to flatten out for bass. It's much quicker. Sorry, all the ladies, I just compared you to to bass, but spawn. <laughs> they dropped their eggs, and that fish still looked full. But he said that that belly was probably a lot more empty than it looked, and so those fish didn't weigh you know, the 10 pounder that we thought or a nine and a half, they both weighed, you know, eight and a half to eight and three quarters, but uh, no shame in that. Still a huge day. Uh, so let's get into it a little bit more about the tournament and then what we're going to look at for next week as well. Uh, so while we were, um, while we were doing Okeechobee, they also had some college event uh, at Clark's Hill, the Lunkers division. That was stop one. I believe, and uh, a solo angler, Anderson Jones from Lander University, wins that tournament for two days, 44 pounds, 43 pounds. Great weight for Clarks Hill. It was great to see us visit that place again. And, uh, man, to, have a, to, to be a solo angler, win a college event, that's absolutely a phenomenal feat. Um, so that happened. There was also a high school event, Carter Pajeski, CJPJ um, on Instagram, uh, he gets the win with his partner. Sorry, I do not know off the top of my head his partner's name, but they got the title for their single-day high school event. We also had the juniors competing the same day as high school to win there as well. So we had that tournament going on, and we get to Okeechobee. We've talked about Scott Martin. When we look at that, he is only in that division. He's only fishing Okeechobee, Santee Cooper, and Lake Hartwell for a shot at the Bassmaster Classic. He now just needs to compete in those two events to make the Classic official. He'll actually probably be double qualified. He'll probably qualify, you know, legitimately through the Elite Series points before that final open, and then maybe he'll double qualify if he continues to show up. So um, huge for Scott. But when we look at the points race for the Tackle Warehouse Bassmaster uh, EQ points race, Tucker Smith is our leader by two ounces. He beats out Randall Tharp for second place. So Tucker's got the most points for an EQ angler, Randall Tharp next, and it goes down the list for the rest of the top 10. So now we've got to think we've got a good group in the top 10 in points going into Wachita. Bo Browning's in the top 10. He could be the eventual points leader after two events. I could see Tucker continuing it. Paul Marks, Randall Tharp could catch him just as good. Um, and then we've also got, I think I looked at it, there was 13 former professional anglers, whether the Elite Series or elsewhere, that are in the top 50 in the tournament. So we've got we've got a good percentage of guys signing up to make the Elites that are still, quote-unquote, in it after one event. Not Not many really bombed and took themselves out of it. Yeah, obviously it's so early. I mean, it's so, so early. It's hard to even begin to try to look at some of the uh the points and things um but i will yeah, say you... i will say there was a trend though i think such told us after you follow last year seven of the nine anglers that qualified eventually qualified were in the top 25 um but that's because so many like the top five didn't miss a cut for 
for (laughs) three quarters of the season. So uh, not to, not to, you know, counter counter argument you, but like, um, we were trying to figure out what that drop dead, you know, if you finished 80th, are you out of it? Or if you finished a hundredth, are you out of it? And well, you can tell suits that that's a small sample size. One year year. uh, (laughs) enough to be justifying that that's going to be the case. There could easily be somebody in the, in the bottom, you know, below 75. Come back and make it, which is, um, you know, I'm being sarcastic, obviously, but um, there really is no telling. I mean, I think that, uh, like you said, you look at the guys that that did so well last year, and I, I, again, I I talked to a handful of the guys that were in the top ten. I said, like, I mean, again, small sample size, one year, but a lot of those guys that did really well right off the jump and had two or three good tournaments in a row, like. It's not that they didn't continue that trend on and and have good events for the rest of the time, but like that start goes a long ways, like a really, really long ways. Like there's there's pressure no matter where you're at. There's pressure if you're in the top 10 right now. There's pressure if you're in the bottom 10. Like the pressure is different though. Like if you're in the top 10, the pressure is to maintain it. If you're in the bottom 10, the pressure is like, I can't afford to do that again. Yeah, like day-to-day, no day-to-day way pressure. Yeah. Right, it's like- you know, it's, it's a different pressure. So, um, you know, having a good start is obviously a huge thing. Um, like you said, you didn't really feel like any of the, the, you know, guys you might have on your radar, like just bombed by any means. So, um, it's definitely going to be interesting. And I think Washita, um, I can't really decide where I'm at on that tournament because obviously it's one of my home lakes and the one that I grew up fishing. Um, I'm just super excited to cover the tournament because I think that, um, you know, even since I moved from Arkansas to Birmingham, you know, fishing has changed a lot with forward facing sonar and things like that. I have really high expectations for the lake. Like the weights typically this time of year, like a lot of places are, are the best all they'll be all season. Um, and I think given some consistent weather, I think guys will, there'll be guys doing a lot of different things. Obviously live scope will be a part of it. Um, but I, you know, I think that there's a, a bunch of the guys that you look at the top 20 um, where it's like it's hard to imagine they would go to Washita, um, and and struggle. But again, that's that's bass fishing, and there's really no telling uh, what could happen. But um, yeah, let's you know, pull it. And, let's pull it up. We'll do that. We'll just bring it up. So if, Tucker if Smith could, leads it. Randall Tharp, right. Paul Marks, Matt Adams, Austin Cranford, Easton Fothergill, Sam George, Bo Browning, Brandon McMillan, Trevor McKinney. That's your top ten. And just below that, Emil Wagner, Bobby Bakewell, Joe uh, Weiberg. Evan Kung, Ty Faber, Andy Newcomb, Mike Sermon, Keith Tuma, Elijah Benson, and Clark Green, and right behind him, Ish Monroe. So Ish Monroe got 28th in the tournament and was 21st in EQ points. So there were seven non-EQ anglers mixed in there, and even after a terrible day one, Dakota Eber jumps up, and he's 23rd in points. He's the one we were keeping our eye on as well. So, yeah, I agree. There, There is a... Five Florida guys mixed in there that may not suit them well at Wachita, but Brandon McMillan, he's fished professional for a long time. He knows what he needs to do. Bobby Bakewell, great in Florida. We'll see how he goes elsewhere. Um, Mike Sermon, Florida, longtime pro. We'll see how he does. But then you've even got other anomalies. You've got Evan Kung, I believe, from like Ontario, Canada. Um, Ty Faber. He is an old-school team championship guy that I met a long time ago. Uh, he's not old in age, but, like, he's been around uh, BASS tournaments for a while. He's from, like, Idaho or Montana or something. So he's, 
you know, this is all somewhat new to him each time we go there. Um, you'll have, you know, plenty of pros mixed in there as well. Guys like Emil Wagner, who we'll keep our eye on as well. So tell me about Tucker and some of the other people. We'll go through their a couple patterns real quick. You got to see Tucker Smith and Paul Marks and some of those guys that were doing it a little different at Okeechobee. At least you saw them on day two. Tell me what you saw and how it played out and what you heard. Um, yeah, so day two and three, I got to cover uh, Paul Marks and Tucker Smith. They were both fishing in the same general area. Um, you know, I, just basically quoting him on the last day or Tucker, that is on the last day, you know, they were, they were able to find some clear water and obviously fish, uh, maybe a little bit deeper, I think, than most people traditionally do on Okeechobee, similar to like what we saw Tyler Rivette do last year in the elite, uh, different, excuse me, different area, same general principle of what they were doing. I think they, they wanted to find something like that in practice and get away from the crowds, obviously, uh, we hit on that earlier in the podcast, but, you know, fishing around a crowd was a really big deal. And it always is at Okeechobee to a certain degree, but like some of those areas, um, you know, on the North shore were insanely crowded. I mean, like the most I'd ever seen in a general area, you know, it's not like every single one of them was fishing, you know, boat to boat with each other, but you know, um, I think finding fish that not that many anglers were fishing for was a big deal for those two guys. Uh, Emil Wagner was in the same general area. Um, Matt Messer was in there. There was a, there was a handful of anglers that, that made that run to, you know, find some cleaner water. Uh, and it paid off for them, obviously fishing more of their strengths. Um, you know, I don't think I'm, you know, giving away any secrets. If you watch live, they're definitely fishing spinning rods and, and more finesse tactics. So, um, definitely a little unique, unique for Okeechobee, but, you know, obviously after seeing what Rivette did last year at Okeechobee, uh, it's less of a surprise, I would say. Um, and I think that, you know, that almost kind of opened the eyes and opened a path for guys that want to go there and, and, you know, more focus on forward facing sonar and like finesse, you know, deeper water. There is places that, you know, allows that. So, um, that's how, how Tucker and Paul fished and I know Emil did as well. So, um, definitely so tell, a little me, different. tell me if you were in that area, you might've turned your electronics off. So you might not know, but what were those, you know, we think about forward facing sonar fish that are just suspending or just out in the abyss. These fish were on the bottom according to Tucker, but were they on, did, did you get to hear what kind of structure it was? We got to see his graph for just a minute, but any structure or bait presence, like what, was there any type of forage, any type of water movement in there, any structure holding them? Because Tucker, I don't think he moved his boat for like three hours at one point in the day, and he was backed up against one of the banks, pointing towards the, you know, the inner rim towards the lake, and, and just sat there and, and caught a few, but also just stayed there because I think there was 15 to 20 fish on his screen when, when the cameraman showed us one time. So did anything that was key, like structure out there, bait fish presence or was there any kind of current in that rim canal from the locks because you have to to go from the lake to get to the rim ditch you got to lock through i don't know how long it takes but you you do at least have to lock through correct yeah it's not a super long process based on what i could tell uh we put in there so we didn't have to do it but it didn't seem like it took them very long once they got to the lock so it seemed like a pretty speedy process um to answer your question uh that's a question I have even, you know, as I was covering Tucker, he and I talked a bunch, obviously 
covered him through the college you, series. And you talked a bunch. He might not have. He's he's pretty quiet. <laughs> oh, he, he talks. He responded, and that's that's what I had told my boat driver. I assumed, based on watching him fish, kind of the baits he was throwing, the things he was doing, um, from idling and running around in that rim ditch. Some of the the water was you know, upwards of 20 foot deep. I'm not saying it was, it was 20 foot, but you know, 17, you know, upper teens. Um, and you know, when I see him fishing, doing what he's doing, my assumption this whole time, especially throughout day two was that those fish were suspended off the bottom, chasing bait. Um, you know, we're not on the bottom. Uh, and I even told my boat driver that, and then the second or the third day, excuse me. Um, I asked Tucker and I said, I assume they're like relating to bait. And he said, no, they're actually just sitting on the bottom. He's like, and there's a lot of them, but like a lot of times they're harder to catch. Um, and, you know, obviously I think one of the biggest things with forward facing sonar, just in general, I'm not giving them any secrets here for somebody that's done it, but like is keeping the bait above their head. So maybe it just appeared um, that the fish were suspended because he was working the bait above them. But um, no, I don't know. I, as far as structure is concerned, I couldn't tell. I didn't have my graphs on and I didn't ask him. Um at that point, I was so like, confused. It didn't look much. It just looked like the either, not like a tabletop, but it did look like it once it dropped off that ledge, it just was a smooth, you know, a smooth bottom down there. And he said like 8 to 12 feet was where, you know, a lot. And Paul said that. But right. obviously there could be deeper spots as well. Hackney thought it was maybe like a pump, like where they pump water. Maybe it was some, you know, not a bubbler, but like, you know, like there was some kind of pipe going from the lake to there. That, you know, normally you can see just like when you're in a pond and you see the sprinkler, there's pipe and different things that those fish will get on, you know, in the middle of a pond as well. And so uh, we were wondering about that. But uh, it's interesting. I didn't it, see it. <laughs> it's, it's interesting how they how they found it or find it. It's not an area that we've seen tournaments won at. But I asked Paul and Tucker and, you know, their roommates. And so when they put their heads together to go look for this pattern, when you're seeking it out, you can find it. That's a big rim ditch that is a long way around i want to know how long it would take you if you started and then just ran the rim ditch all the way around the lake the circumference and see how long it would take you but that's a lot of ground to cover they were in that you know luckily in the northeast corner so if they did launch it the Kissimmee river they didn't have to go super far but they're lucky that they found it when they did so it's interesting i think they did do some pre-practice as well so maybe that's where they got to explore that but um then we got to see randall tharp fishing a uh, bladed jig all three days, almost exclusively. Maybe he flipped in there and punched, you know, some of the thicker stuff once in a while, but he attributed the jackhammer to all of his damage. And we got to see the new Zoom Shimmer Shad, actually a bait designed for forward-facing sonar. He used it as a chatterbait trailer. And, uh, you know, we know how good a chatterbait is. And that was good to see it show up in the top 10 in third place for Randall Tharp. Um, we were wondering... Wondering how long it would take for some of the bigger names that join the Opens to make an impact, and it took one day of competition, and Randall Tharp was in the top 10, and uh, is it is in a prime position to make his return to the Elite Series. Just one step out of nine into the season, but a great a great start for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you said it earlier in the podcast, but I think that's the coolest thing, is like you had guys fishing – um, you know, off the bank fishing live scope type stuff. And then you had guys fishing very traditional Florida um, style, obviously uh, flipping and pitching chatterbaits, things of that nature. Um, definitely a big start for Randall Tharp. I assume that's who you're asking about. I was reading yes. an email as you were, uh, as you were asking a question, but um, always yeah. working. 
Yeah, yeah, no, can't can't stay in here for too long before somebody comes and finds me for something. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, I think it was a, a a great start for him. I I got to talk to him before the tournament started, and I obviously was not here, you know, at Bass full time, you know, for a lot of his you know career here at Bass. But uh, he had this weird like you know kind of quiet confidence about him you know like he like you could tell he was like not even threatened by like the weather like all these different factors when people were talking about it, you could just tell he just like was not fact you know was not threatened honey, by honey badger don't care honey yeah, badger don't like care it, it was very very you know noticeable you could tell it was it was kind of like his mindset and that he was just not worried about it um which made me think he was probably on him pretty good um certainly caught him really big that that second day catching um, I guess, yeah, it was the second day catching the 10 pounder. It's hard to oh, remember. No. Day one. Day one. Was it only, day one? I, yeah, he had 22 pounds and he had a 10 pounder. And then the next day he had 22 pounds and they were all just solid ones. So it was like, it, that's, that's the Florida recipe. If you can't find consistency and you find just two pounders, three pounders, you got to have a giant bite. You got to have a big bite. And he did and it bailed him out and it gave him, you know, I'm not going to say bailed him out, but it gave him a little bit of leash. I have one more day to figure out how to get consistent, bigger bites. And then he comes in with basically like nothing, you know, everything between three and five pounds and catches 22 pounds the next day. Maybe he had a six pounder in there, but yeah, uh, huge for him. And one thing I'll say about this, when we think about the community holes and we think about the things off the beaten path, there were five areas that basically occupied two boats each whether you were in a crowd of 10 boats and two survived or you were a crowd of 50 boats and two survived. You had the Harney Pond, you know, North Shore region that was Scott and Easton. You had the Tin House region that had Brandon McMillan and, and Bo Browning. Bo sampled other areas as well, but just thinking like those guys, you know, hunkered in that area a little bit too. Then you've got, you know, Tharp and Matt Adams in the, you know, the Eagle Bay region, more northeast um east of uh where the okeechobee ramp is east of the Kissimmee river where it jumps in and then you had two in the rim ditch uh with tucker and paul and then you had two in south bay with austin and sam so i think uh it's cool to see how this these were the key areas and how a couple people were able to survive now tell me did you go check out the moonshine area, which was very popular in the elite series event and the water looked great, but nobody made it from the top 10 really, or it wasn't, there wasn't more people there. And some of the old Florida guys are saying, you know, maybe the water was a little cooler. And so moonshine may pop off this week or next week, but it wasn't popping off quite like <laughs> Harney pond popped off. Yeah. So day one morning, my boat driver and I, that's actually where we started. And we, you know, we took off right around the same time that the, the, uh, the pros took off and, um, we, we sat in there kind of like a centralized place. So we could kind of tell where the other boats were going to be and, and, uh, we're going and everything. And that was our initial reaction was like, I can't believe there's not more boats in here. You know I mean? Everything looks right. Um, there's good vegetation, like everything appears to be, uh, the way you would want it to be. And that morning, I think we saw maybe four or five boats total, which, you know, as, as some of the guys mentioned this week, when you're not around a bunch of other boats, like in Florida, you kind of think one way or the other, you're like, that's great. There's no other boats here or that's bad. There's no other boats here because it's like, this might not be the deal. Um, and that's kind of how we felt in that morning. Uh, you know, we bounced around and covered a few guys and, uh, 
none of them really caught him very good. I think day one, uh, Bill McDonald was in, you know, that general region of the lake and he had a decent one. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't early for me. Definitely wasn't catching him early, but it was, um, it was a little surprising. You know, I, I asked my boat driver the same question and it's like, the answer is pretty much it's just Okeechobee and it changes all the time. But, you know, last year being in horse and moonshine and some of those places, I covered the event in the elite. Uh, it was different to see that this year, you know, like you said, most of those areas didn't play at all, which is just crazy. Like, you know, most lakes, again, Okeechobee is very, very unique, but most lakes, like you can guarantee if we've had a tournament there in the last, you know, decade, a lot of the same areas are going to play just because the areas of the lake are, are good. Um, but Okeechobee, obviously it's, it's so constantly changing that, that every single year you just really don't know what you're going to get. And it makes it challenging from an angler standpoint because you're trying to practice on this lake that's as big as a state, you know, basically, and trying to figure out the areas that have the right water color, um, you know, the vegetation and the population of bass. Um, and to do that in just a few days is, is difficult. And then, you know, on the elite side of things, even more difficult to do in three days versus, you know, more more days than that. Yeah, and so this brings us to the end of the podcast. And, and I wanted to mention what Scott Martin and many others at Lake Okeechobee have tried to do. Uh, creating the the organization or the group A-Flow, Anglers for Lake Okeechobee. We see 90 pounds, 6 ounces, and it breaks a record. We see so many big fish, 23 pounds a day just to get second place. We see that, and we think the lake is doing great, and it does have all the, the recipes for big bass in there. But one huge thing they're missing is a lot of the submergent vegetation, a lot of the structure, a lot of areas that would make this lake fish a much much bigger, a lot less pressure in some areas. Something's got to give, and we don't want it to be the bass. We don't want it to be the lifespan, the quality of them. And so something's got to give. we got to have an influx of that. Scott was explaining it to me that, you know, the lake's at 16.3 feet, which is, uh, you know, he broke it down as 12 to 13 feet, which I have a bunch of friends at Okeechobee that have said things that are very similar. 12 to 13 feet is optimal for grass growth and, and you know, explosion of vegetation. And then you have 14 to 15 feet. Grass that's grown can maintain, but it's not going to necessarily thrive. It'll be there. When it gets above 16 feet or above 15 and a half feet, the grass just can't grow. It's too much water on it not enough light penetration, not conducive growing habits. So in the second that maybe spraying happens um, with chemicals, whatever was trying to hold on and maintain is gone. And so obviously then you get a lot more mucky bottom. You don't have a lot of vegetation with good roots, creating a a solid foundation. You know, the water color will change. Uh And so let's keep an eye on uh, Lake Okeechobee. Uh, If you know of a way to help or – if you want to write, if you're in Florida, write your, um, you know, political figures that can maybe make it happen. But like Scott said, we've put millions of dollars around Lake Okeechobee. Let's put millions of dollars in Lake Okeechobee so that this gym and legendary fishery, one that we've visited 24 times with BASS, um, semi-pro and top-level events, that we can continue to visit Lake Okeechobee in the future. But Kyle, for this episode of the podcast, man, we're going to wrap it up. I think I'll see you next week at Lake Wachita. I'm going to come down to some of the weigh-ins and interview some anglers so I'll be able to see you and be around there again. And then we'll do live once again, final day of Lake Wachita 
or Washita, as the Arkansas people say it. As long as I'm not saying Owachita, we're good. Um, but Lake Washita, second stop of the Opens, it's coming right up. And then we will jump in immediately following uh, Lake Washita and the second Open of the year into Fantasy Fishing and the Elite Series preview for Toledo, and we will kick it off then. But until then, we will see you for the Inside Bassmaster podcast next time.